Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, and thanks for joining us. This episode is a bit unique as I originally recorded it as a guest on Nick Gallo's The Ethics Expert show a couple of weeks back. Nick is one of my close LinkedIn friends, and after we recorded and listened back, we said this show was so full of value bombs from both of us that I need to share it on the podcast. And he's like, no problem, man. More the merrier. And if you don't know Nick, he's the co-CEO of Compliance Line the nation's leading provider of outsourced ethics, and one of the sharpest, most articulate, well-read dudes I know. I think he read like 150 books last year. It's crazy. Uh, Definitely going to talk about that. So join us as we talk shop around career advice, job searching, interviewing, and a ton more. This is a good one, Tribe. Join us. Let's do it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Ethics Experts. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. And if you're a returning subscriber, welcome. Hope you're having an amazing day. You see what happens when you subscribe to the Ethics Experts. You get a bonus greeting on every episode. So hit that subscribe button. I am here with the man, Adam Posner. Uh, Adam, what's happening, bud? Nick, what is happening, my dude? Uh, Not much. So uh, for you guys who don't know Adam, get familiar with this guy. He is like uh, upper tier of... Uh, the marketing game, upper tier of the recruiting game. You're someone I've learned a lot from just, you know, not, not upper tier of the podcast game. Uh, you're just somebody who I, who has a great presence on LinkedIn, who's, who's, um, who I've just learned so much from over the last year. And I wanted to get wow. you on. Yeah, see, I'm see how I gas you up, dude. I just, yeah, man. I just pour it out. Okay. Um, a lot to live up to here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please live up to uh, all this that I'm hyping. Um, but you're somebody who um, is great in the recruiting space. I wanted to get you on to the, uh, you know, this, this series we're doing, uh, Open to Work, because you probably have a lot of techniques, tactics, and insights from a recruiter's perspective that can hopefully we can speak into the lives of folks who might be in between jobs in the ethics and compliance game or in the HR game on how they can accelerate toward that next position. So, you know, I just, you, I'm sure you've seen a lot over this last year. Maybe we start there. Like, how have you seen the recruiting side change because you know when when we talked last year um the power uh dynamics have changed a lot right like when we talked last all the power was was really on the on the employee's perspective right the candidate side side. yeah on the candidate side right they had they had so many options labor mobility was at an all-time high uh the economy was like really chugging then COVID hit and then it all kind of flipped so from your standpoint over this last year what do you think of you know what have you seen yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's really important when we look at those unemployment numbers to understand which segments are most affected. Travel, tourism, hospitality, you know, anyone working in that restaurant industry, uh, decimated for sure. Yeah. But when I talk specifically about my uh, niche, which is marketing, media, and ad tech, anything to do with direct-to-consumer uh, e-commerce marketing has been on fire. 
absolutely mm -hmm. on fire. I mean, one of my clients has seen Forex growth over the last wow. 12, 12 months. So in that specific vertical, it's still a very strong candidate-driven market. In fact, more so, which is absolutely incredible to see. So that's fantastic to see that there is hiring, but in so many other areas, it, it is really rough. So you have to be very cognizant about which genre, which which categories and verticals that we're talking about when it comes to talking about unemployment and the market here. One of the other great trends that we're seeing right now is a lot of companies that were very firm on, we're only hiring in our market, we want people local, we want people in the office, have now been able to expand and hire remotely, which has been fantastic. If you think about it from the available talent and labor pool out there, they're able to do a couple of things. They're able to tap into, into folks who live in different regions, expand that talent pool. And for better or worse, hey, we could have a whole separate conversation about this. The cost of living in certain areas is less and the salary requirements are less for those people. I'm not saying pay less, necessarily pay less for people who live in a different area, but let's be truthful about it. It costs a lot more to live in New York City, Chicago, Miami, San Francisco, than it does in certain areas of the middle of the country. And compensation does reflect that in many regards. So as you're, so, there's been like a new flexibility, right? On the uh, employer side, both in terms of like the work from home or the remote piece. Absolutely. What kind of flexibility have you seen from them? Not, not, even, not just geographically, but in terms of like, well, I'll take somebody from a different industry, for example. Again, it's very industry, it's very industry specific. And I think okay. it depends on the role and what they're looking for. Um, it goes back to that conversation we see on LinkedIn all the time, hire for character, train for skill. In a very high level, of course, we believe in that. We believe in hiring the right people. You know, I take a look at your, you know, the motto that you have on your wall right there. And I truly believe in all that. You hire good people for sure. But in a certain regard, you need certain skills for certain jobs. And one of the core reasons that a company right now may need to lean more on the skill side of this conversation is because they don't have the bandwidth for training. Think about this. Ah. Folks are working from home right now. In most cases, people are in an office. It's easy to shift. Hey, go sit with Nick for a little bit. Go sit with Adam for a little bit. Right. Go shadow Sarah over there and, and sit on our calls. That's a lot harder right now remotely. Training right. and onboarding is significantly harder. So a lot of companies right now, and I'm talking specifically from experience with my clients right now, like Adam, we need to have folks with these skills ready to go immediately plug and play. Of course, we're putting our filters on for good people, good characters. That's that that that's a door open. I mean, that's 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 like just a cost of entry, right? Yeah, that's exactly. just you know barrier. Exactly. Of course, I'm not hiring jerks off the street. Come on, but there's certain skills you need for certain jobs, and I think that conversation also kind of leans for entry level. I think at entry level jobs, there's more bandwidth and 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 wiggle room there to hire somebody who may not have those exact skills that you need. So very careful that we put it into context when having that conversation. So I'm talking to, a, or I'm helping uh, somebody right now who um, had some personal challenges and they're super smart, you know, so again, some of, some of the stuff we're talking about is, is a little bit tangential, but I think the principles sure. are, I think they apply kind of across the board. So this person, super smart, had some personal challenges, wants to kind of do a career change from like the straight legal field into the compliance field. Okay, so they this person doesn't have any like direct compliance experience. Obviously, so much of it like is related and complicated. There's a lot of transferable skills. Exactly. So for somebody like that, what do you talk to them about? Um, just like from a tactical standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, or even from a mindset standpoint, to increase their odds of like landing where they want to go. Yeah, this is an interesting one too. And I and I think and I and I hate to go in this direction, but it also starts making sure that we level set on compensation goals. Let's just say as a in the legal field, they're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, hypothetically, and this role is at sixty-five, seventy thousand. 
let's align to make sure right now that this is a pivot that you are open to and can afford to do. Because it's going to be very difficult for me to, to introduce you to my clients saying, hey, you don't have that, that, that those hard skills that we need for this job specifically. You have a lot of those tangential skills, a lot of those transferable skills for sure. But this yeah. job pays a lot less. And you might have to take two steps backwards in a title and compensation perspective to make those steps forward in, in, the, in, the, in the long run. Right? Are you willing to take that short-term loss for a long-term gain? You have to align on that point first and foremost. And then you can start to get into the conversations about how do we tell your career story? How do we tell the story about why you want to pivot? Let's highlight those transferable skills and why specifically you want to make the move into this industry. So that's a great point. Um, you know, like in a hierarchy of needs or a hierarchy of priorities, there's only one thing in each spot. Maslow's right? recruiting pyramid? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. He, he, did it in every, he did it everywhere. Yeah. Um, the, but I see that sometimes with folks who are like, oh, I want to do that. I want to get over there. But I also want the money at the same time. So it's like you have to pick one or the other and you have to make that prior, prior, prioritization. It's about, be, let's just be realistic. Let's be pragmatic people. Like let's have a real conversation, black and white. You know, there's not a lot of gray area here. Like why me as a company, am I going to go give you the same compensation of somebody who's been doing exactly what you're trying to do for their whole career? I mean, let's just call it what it is. I don't care how awesome of a human you are. I mean, this is a job. I need things done. We have certain things that we need to have for this specific role. And right. you unfortunately don't have that level of experience. There's another key word that's really important here. And, and I think this comes down to storytelling and making sure that comes clear is aptitude, right? I have the ability to learn quickly. I have the ability to pick up these skills quickly and giving examples of how you do that. I could talk smack all day long. Hey, Nick, I pick things up super quickly. I could learn on the fly. I'm real quick at that. Okay, give me an example of that. If I call your, your former supervisor, will he tell me the same thing? Right. Right. You, you have As to like have, a defining characteristic of you. Right. If you're, if you're saying that, if you're coming into a certain, because that's a big piece too. If you're, if you're doing that career pivot, you need to use that word aptitude, but you also have to prove it out. Got it. And, big time. and how do you see folks do that? Sort of anecdotally reference both? Both. It, it has to be a combination of both. And it really has to come through. Listen, it, it also goes to that conversation too. Some people are just great interviewers. I know that there's points in my career where I could come in and charm the pants off someone in an interview. And then the real good interviewers would turn it around. They give me those real hard behavioral questions and they want to see it there too. But then there's some others. I've talked my way into jobs, maybe right. at a higher level that I should have been at. And when that happens, you're setting up both sides for failure. Interesting. Yeah. And so where do you draw that line between sort of aspirational stretch position, you know, where, Hey, I can do this. And <laughs> when are you biting off more than you can chew? It's hard. It's hard to probably know. You know, Nick, I've always wanted to be an astronaut. And I can tell you, man, I, I feel it, man. I've watched all those space videos. I've seen all those sci-fi movies. I tell you, just put me in that cockpit, put me in that seat. I'm telling you, I could fly that spaceship. Right. Like, <laughs> like you got the job. I, that's, the job that's why I don't work at NASA. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, I'm obviously, you know, a little far-fetched here, but you have to have quantifiable results in your story that show how you've grown. Maybe it's like, Hey, listen, Nick, in my, in my last role, right there, there was the director, two levels above me left. She just uh, up and quit and they didn't have anybody. I stepped into that role and yes, there was a bit of a learning curve there. Yes. There was some things I didn't know, but I did it really quickly. And I moved up so fast in there that our clients were satisfied. I picked up those new skills that I needed. I needed to do X, Y, and Z in this role. And by, by being in this company for a couple of years and watching that director do that, I was able to pick it up. And you could ask my last boss how that was. Like, like you, ha you, have to, you have to do that. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of, like, 
that example anecdote, there's a lot of credibility in it because you talked about a J curve, you talked about the struggle, you, and then you also said you can ask this person and they'll attest to the same thing. That's so much, I think, of what that sale is. And um, go ahead. Yeah, you said the word sale. And is a sell, an interview, a job, the job search is a sales process. That's another really important to th thing to think about. And if you treat it like that, you'll have much greater success. Think about the, a good, true sales process. Yeah. And so in a lot of the space that you're in, I think um, people get that maybe at a deeper DNA level or something, right? Like if you're in marketing, sales and marketing, yeah, it's a function. You're, you're, you're dealing with hearts and minds. You're dealing with storytelling and and those kinds of things. And even probably on a product level, maybe at a, at a bit of a diminished uh, right. thing, but like for, for something that's really kind of back office, that's HR, that's more like HR, that's more like compliance, where that's not really part and parcel with like how they came up. Like a lot of these folks came up through legal or they came up through, you know, right. some of these back office things. How do you get somebody who doesn't under, who's never really thought of it as a sale? How do you get them to start like getting those gears to mesh and getting in, kind of turning on the light bulb for them to get some traction down that path, because that's really kind of what it takes. You know? I think you turn the conversation into storytelling and you start to talk to them about, instead of being so linear and prescriptive with talking about your background, tell it as a story. And I think it comes down to, and, and, I'll, and I'll take it back a little bit. I was at American Express 2011, 2012. Um, and I've told the story before how it just wasn't right for me from a culture perspective. It wasn't, you know, and, and luckily I got very lucky the fact that after a year plus there, they brought in a new president and he changed the organization and everybody had to re-interview for their jobs. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's BS. I have already gone through the gauntlet here out there. And I decided to take the exit package. It was fantastic. My, my wife was, you know, a month or so away from having our, our, our daughter at the time. And, and I took the package. I mean, it was healthcare for a year and six months severance and all that kind of stuff too. But the other thing that they offered, which was critical was outplacement services. And there was a number of us that did not take this opportunity. I'm like, hey, I'm sitting here for three weeks anyway. I know my end date. I know when I'm leaving here. I'm like, why not? I do. Why, why shouldn't I take advantage of this? And I was lucky enough to work with a career counselor. And she taught me one of the most valuable pieces in any job search, which is the elevator pitch, which is your story. And so we worked, you know, it was a little long way to get there. But no, no, this is great. We, we, this, we worked, this is where we I wanted to go next. Yeah, Sorry, so we, we, we worked on this elevator pitch, which is your story. Because the first question in almost every single job interview is tell me about yourself. Tell right. me your story. And if you can't go in there and be succinct and strategic in your story and lead it, because that's your opportunity. That's your opportunity to set the stage, man, right? Like you're able to come in there. And we worked on this for three weeks. And she worked me and she made me redraft it and write it. And like, I literally have copies of it, man. And it's great because I'm able to tell who I am, what I do best, what my skills are, what my current situation is and what I'm looking for in about 90 seconds. Amazing. And I'm always, ever since that day, since 2012, throughout my career, I take that exact story and I tweak it to the next role, to the next opportunity, to the current events happening right now. But it's that skill set, the ability to craft that story that's an offer. I'm gonna see if I could find that paperwork and send it over to you. I'd love to see that. Um, we're doing. Um, we have a session for this group that I'm a part of, where we're helping folks, you know, with their transition and stuff like that. And a big portion of this uh, session is going to be about the elevator pitch. And I, I'll just echo man. everything you said. I feel like when we, when you know, jobs I've gotten in the past, uh, when we were fundraising, even now when we're selling our services there's such an opportunity to just condense it all down, boil it down to, to a couple of takeaways. And really, I kind of find the fact that, I mean, tell me what you think about this. I think most people stink at interviewing, 
Um, they, they're not really good at it. And I think that creates a tremendous opportunity for a candidate to help guide them through that interview and give them the hooks to hold on to. Interviewing's tough, man. And some people are just naturals at it because it's a very, you know, extroverted kind of process. And some people just the anxiety and the fear and the unknown and, and you're layering on either I'm out of work and I'm trying to get a job. And this is so important that I crush this. They don't know how to respond to body language. And we're talking about in-office interviews. We're not even talking about the last, you know, 11 months here. Um, right. It's stressful. Interviews are stressful. And then you throw into the mix. There are some interviewers out there. You've been in front of them. They are just like, these guys are literally like you're in front of the freaking Supreme Court, right? And they're grilling totally. you and everything. And then there's other people who literally walk into the interview and they just got the, your resume in their hand. They haven't even looked and they're just like, all right, hey, Nick, hey, uh, nice to meet you, man. T tell me, what's up, man? Who are you? What do you do there, right? And those are the, you have to be able to take advantage of both of those opportunities. Because you know if you're coming in to a behavioral interview, you're going to have that skill set, right? You know, all right, here are the questions they're going to type of ask me. Here's how I'm going to position it. You know, I'm going to use a star method, right? I'm going to use, right, I'm going to have quantifiable results. I'm going to be able to use antidotes in there and then back it up with numbers. And on the flip side, when I come in and I have that freaking softball coming at me, when this interviewer is not prepared, I'm going to take advantage and I am going to lead the narrative in that interview because the ultimate goal of any interview is to get to the next level of that interview process. Remember that. How do I get from this round to the next round? And that's really what the resume is doing, right? The resume, resume is just a door, the resume is a door opener, correct? That's right. Um, where do you see people put that emphasis? So, I mean, you're obviously great at this. Uh, I think, um, obviously, spot on, right? We're playing a lily pad game. We're hopping to hopping to hopping to the next, the, the next opportunity, and you just have to kind of get through that next one. How have you seen people who don't understand the sort of linear progression of that interview process place sort of uh, incorrect, for lack of a better term, incorrect weight on the resume, for the, for example, or the cover letter or whatever? Well, it's really interesting, too. I mean, I, I here, here's kind of my stance on cover letters. If you're applying for a job that you're spot on for, and we're talking, you're checking 75, 80% of the boxes, it's in your industry, it's the next level up, you're in that same competitive set, don't even bother with a cover letter. I've seen cover letters hurt people, and it's careless oh. mistakes. I, so I, I kind of call it like a three strike rule. If I see a cover letter for somebody and they're a great candidate on paper and that cover letter, they forget to change the name of the company, right? They say, dear Acme Industries, but we're really talking NHP talent group. I'm like, that's a careless strike. You didn't take that one second there. That's a strike. It's not an out. It's a strike. Okay. And I'm going to remember that. So you have to be very mindful with cover letters. I've seen people leave their cover letters in there that is so irrelevant and just wrong, like they're literally just copying and pasting it and it's just lazy. So you have to be very mindful of the cover letter. The cover letter should be used if you're talking about a career pivot, if you're using it as a gap in unemployment, the cover letter should never reflect and be a mirror of your resume. Because then you're giving me double the work to do. Why are you telling me everything in your cover letter? I'm just gonna look in your resume in two seconds. So Good be point. very mindful about the copy. I don't wanna get too much into a cover letter exercise here because I'm not a tremendous fan of cover letters. Right, but use it to explain a situation. Hey, I took the last year off to raise my kid. I took the last six months off for a sick relative. My husband and I decided to take a year off and travel the world. I'm like, that's awesome, man. Now we have something to talk about in the interview because I right. think that's interesting. Right. But use a cover letter if you need to explain something. Don't use it to mirror your resume. It's a waste of everyone's time. And you know what you're kind of talking about is a little bit of empathy for the person. I mean, again, this is just salesmanship, right? Like I need to be, if I'm, if you're going to be, Inter interviewing me, I need to be concerned about kind of your experience, so to speak, right? I don't want to, you, you just said that just doubles my work. 
like if I'm not thinking about that, if I'm just thinking about myself and I'm just like, I just got to do a scatter shot here. I'm going to send him a tome and I'm going to send him this and I'm going to send him that. Like it ends up kind of working against you. And then you think about the length too. I mean, I've seen like, I literally, cause I mean, I look at a lot of resumes every single day that come through applications. Some of them are just eye charts, man. I mean, when I'm talking about the resume, I'm talking about a cover letter. If I literally see a dissertation there, like, you know, it's the odyssey in front of me. Like, I don't want to read it. Right. I'm just like, the paragraphs aren't broken up. I'm like, like, yeah. like that's not thoughtful about the end user. And the same right. thing applies to the resume too. I mean, some people try to cram, they hear the rule like, oh, don't, you know, resume shouldn't be, you know, more, more than two pages. And the only way it should be more than two pages if you're a PhD and you're listing, you know, all your publications and all your work and all your experiments and everything. I'm like, yeah, I've seen that. And I've also seen people like reduce their resume down to a six point font. And I have to sit there with a, with a, with, you know, with the monocle you know, with the, with the jeweler's loop trying to like freaking read this thing. Right. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like when it comes down to the resume, it, it really comes down to the story you're telling, being relevant, calling out those relevant. And I tell people, customize your resume. Don't lie about it. We'll suss that out real quick from a skills perspective. Don't lie on it. But if you have a skill that they're really looking for in that job description, in the job advert, pump it up, move it to that first right. bullet point. Cause that's the first thing I'm going to see. Right. I'm looking for, you know, lead compliance. And I said, lead, lead compliance at your competitor. Excellent. Great. Let's get on the yeah. phone quickly. You just saved me time. I see it. You work for this company. You did what I'm looking for. You're what I need. Let's talk and work through the rest of it. That's a great point. Um, put the effort in. Yeah, put the effort in. And I mean, you know, again, just I think this corollary to a sales pitch is so apt, right? Um, you're not like when you're pitching your services to a potential client, like, yeah, you may have a similar structure of, hey, I'm going to cover these kinds of things. And I'm going to show that I have these capabilities and these technologies and stuff right. like that. But it's not like you put a tape recorder up to the mic and you just sort of sit back <laughs> and it's just like, you know what I'm saying? You're not yeah. just pressing play. You're responding to what they're looking for. And, I mean, this naturally happens in a conversation. And I think it does that same care for the resume. They probably would be a little bit more successful. They would too. And, and, and for me, like I, I know when I was on the job hunt and I was going from agency side and, and let me just backtrack for a second. Before I got into recruiting, I worked 15 years in advertising and marketing. So I've worked brand side. I've worked at companies we call brand side. I've worked at American Express. I've worked at Sirius XM satellite radio. And then I've worked agency side working at an ad agency. So when I was going from one job to the next, I actually had two different versions of my resume. If I was applying to another ad agency, I pumped up a lot of those agency skills, the client management, the communication, all those kind of keyword pieces there. But if I was applying to a brand, I would flip it around, manage the client relationship with these brand managers. Like those are really important points there too. So they could really understand like, all right, Adam worked on the agency side, his relationships on the brand side were with senior brand leaders. And that's the type of role he's applying to. And these are highly relatable skills. He has that insight. He knows what they're looking for. And he could bring that to the table. I mean, it's just kind of making it easy. Common sense. Them. Yeah, also, it is kind of common people sense. People are lazy though, Nick. What's that? I think people are lazy, like straight up. I think that they're, I, I think it's a combination of not being mindful about it and why conversations like this are important to bring it to the forefront. And then I think, you know, in, in the advent of the easy apply button, and I blame Staples for this, right? Didn't they start that easy button? They like did, I blame yeah. LinkedIn, right? With the easy apply button where it's turned into a spray and pray. And I think that's, you know, I can go off on a tangent here about how that's flooded the, the applicant process. I mean, I yeah. can't even tell you, man, like we'll put up a role with one of my clients, project manager. Now project manager is a super generic job title that could apply to every single freaking industry in the world. You could be a project manager at a factory. You could be a project manager in a surgical supply company. you could be a project manager in an ad agency, right? But once you start to read the job description and you see what company it's for, that narrows it down really quickly. 
Yeah. You'd be shocked, man. Let's just say we, I put out a job ad for, on, on LinkedIn for an easy apply with an easy apply button flooded, Unreal. flooded. So it's how do you deal to, with that? How do you deal with that? Like lots one of thing drinking, we, man. No, just, yeah, a lot of booze. Yeah. Day drinking. Um, one thing we've started to do is we have the whole description and then we have some directions on the bottom that are off uh, off LinkedIn or off Indeed, wherever it's posted, like they have to go and fill something out over here or do yeah. a test or something over there. And then we're only looking at people who actually follow those directions to kind of weed out that's well, that's smart, right? I don't even know if it works though. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's knockout questions too. Like what, a lot of the things that we put on a resume, for example, if we, if we can't support sponsorship, if it's a geo, if it's a geo specific yes. job there too, and the geo specific is kind of weird though. Cause you might have someone, let's just say it's a New York role and they live on the West coast. That's when you do in the cover letter. Hey, I live out in LA. My family's in New York. I'm looking to move to New York. Great. That's a great thing to add in a cover letter. I get it. I'm not going to disqualify you right away. Like that's an important thing to put in a cover letter. You know what I'm saying? Um, but the application process and I, and I urge people really read the job descriptions. Don't be lazy about it. Cause a lot of people put blame, listen, the recruitment process is broken, but I think both sides need to take responsibility for it. And I think that job seekers applying to roles that they're hundred percent irrelevant for is, is a big problem. Hey tribe, real quick shout out. I'm really excited to share with you a podcast I recently discovered called the art of excellence. The host Glenn Zwieg does these really engaging deep dive interviews with people who have achieved extraordinary success across all walks of life. He's interviewed business leaders like John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods, and has also interviewed well-known thought leaders like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Deepak Chopra. He's interviewed Scott Kelly, the astronaut, another guy who's a top Hollywood stuntman, and so much more. And Glenn has an insatiable curiosity and does a great job of bringing these people to life. You can find it at theartofexcellence.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out. Thanks. I talk openly about it. There's this subreddit called uh, Recruiting Hell. Have you ever seen this? I have, and I, I, it's one of those things like Glassdoor. I just don't put too much time or effort into it. Yeah, it's just, I'm sure you know, it's just a bitch fast, right? That's that's exactly what it is. It's just people complaining, and you know, I can kind of appreciate both sides because I've been looking for jobs in the past, and now you know yeah, we're growing, hiring. we're hiring people, and a lot of the complaining is just like, well, what do you expect? <laughs> you know, what do you expect? From these people, yeah, like, I apply. Like, no one gets back to me, you. right? We're flooded, man. And then also, companies are going. I mean, to cut you off, but like companies' resources in this day and age, they're cutting back their furloughing. And a typical recruiter's workload could have been seven to eight active roles, and now they have twelve to thirteen. Because, exactly. right? What do you expect when you're applying for jobs that you have no business applying for? Yeah, and, but it's weird though, you. too, right? Right, it's a weird thing too. Because like, let's take a few steps back on that. Okay. You know, it's like it's almost like like I can't discount an aspirational job seeker. Right. I know I'm a salty, cynical New Yorker recruiter here, but let's take a step back. We've all been in those positions, too, where there's aspirational jobs. And I understand sometimes when people just want to take a moonshot, like they Mm -hmm. want to take that moonshot. And I can't always fault them for that until I'm the one on the other side reviewing applications. I'm like, you know, it's like me applying for being an astronaut, (laughs) you know, delete in two seconds. Right. Where people really and this is people say this all the time. I have to be careful how I say this. Nick, I could scan a resume in five to eight seconds. My eye is trained to be able to scan for certain things in that resume and say, hey, this is somebody I either want to continue reading a little bit deeper and put that minute or two in or immediately, like an immediate hit that reject button. As you describe that, man, like, you know how you were saying, hey, the resume is just going to get you in the door. That interview is just going to get you to the next one. There is a bunch of mini micro sales that are happening just on the resume. That's what you just described. Am I going to pay attention? To should I pay attention to this? And should I dive deeper? We got to get that right off the bat. What kind of things are like, do you automatically just go crap? 
garbage. So aside crazy, from like typos. I hate this. I hate, well, typos are, are there's no excuse for I, Dude, I've missed typos in resumes that I'm reviewing and a hiring manager will call me on that. They're like, how'd you send me this resume and there's typos in it? I'm like, uh-oh. My bad. My right. bad, right? Like, oops. Even dash not- sizes. Are you doing M dashes everywhere? Are you doing M dashes? Consistency, I mean, right? Independent. If it's an attention to detail role and your M dashes versus, you know, other debt, da- like it's just, you know, not right. That's attention to detail. And right. certain hiring managers will pick up on that. But you have to start with the optics of a resume. I always tell people clean, clear, concise. Is it something treated is almost an ad? Is it something aesthetically that I want to look look at? I don't okay. need you to wow me with floral designs and graphs. I don't want to see your picture in it because that we could have a whole separate conversation about bias there too. Because oh, I'd is love a to bias. hear about that. That's great. Right? Like, do never debate do not, about that. Yeah. Don't ever put your photograph in there. If okay. I want to look you up on LinkedIn, I will. But you could you could do yourself a lot of harm there too, right? Because you have no idea what the person on the other end is going to. We all have biases. I don't care who you are. I'm not just saying this in a racist way, whatever. We all have subconscious biases. We're human. Right. We're brought up in different ways. We all have things subtle or not so subtle. But if, if you're a job seeker, you want to take that out of the equation as quickly as possible. I mean, we're even talking biases of a foreign sounding name, right? I mean, some companies some companies completely uh, autonomize a resume and they'll take out names and they'll just have a job number, uh, a, a candidate number. You know, I've seen a lot of companies do that successfully, right? They blind it yeah. out. They blind out. Yeah, they do. And the software too that you could, you could, uh, you could layer on top of your ATS that does that too. There are companies out there that does that to remove a lot of that subconscious bias. But you have to do everything in your power to make your resume clean, clear, and concise. Now, if you're a graphic designer, if you're in product marketing or management, right, and there might be a little bit of like kind of that graphic edge to it, a tad, a touch, a little bit of flair here and there, but readability is key. Clean, clear, concise. I mean, I've seen people where they have. You know, they literally turn the resume into three columns on the left side, they're listing all their job skills on the right, they're using some kind of dotted graph, and they're leaving only like a little bit of room for their actual role. And that's like, it's, 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 it's just not thoughtful. I don't know who's giving this advice, but I always err on the side of clean, clear and relevant. I mean, I made a post about it the other day, like, just yeah. be straight up with it. Like, it's about the, the what's in there. Yeah, what's in there. Um, how have you seen people like successfully? Well, First of all, is this even important? Uh, you know, that thing, the golden circle, right? Like what you do, how you do it, and why you do it. I think we, you know, I think we resonate closely on our whys. How have you seen people successfully incorporate that why or incorporate some of their heart and their differentiation to help kind of augment that just sort of straight skill set? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's a great one too. And I and I see that too in the cover letter sometimes, right? If it's a creative cover letter, I, if you make me laugh in a cover letter, I already like you. Okay. But without wasting, but if you waste my time in a cover letter, I don't like you. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of the way I go there. Um, it's always interesting how folks use the real estate at the top. Some, some use an objective, some use the word summary. What are you putting there? Right. But I like it when someone tells me what they're looking for. Like, I'm currently a director in this field looking to make the next step up to this level. Great. It helps frame it for you. It helps frame it. Just help me frame it up there. But if you're wasting that space there, just be cognizant of what you're putting in and the end user. It goes back to what you said before, Nick. Be mindful of the reader and the reader being the internal recruiter. Yeah. And you were kind of talking about kind of the thoughtfulness. And as I'm picturing you know, one of these resumes I looked at recently that looked like freaking, you know, I, you kind of described it six point font, freaking everything. It's an eye chart. All... It's just an eye chart, right? Like you eye, eye doctor and you have to like cover one eye, <laughs> right? Like what does that say on, on row 18? You're like, right? you're like, I'm not even going to read this. But then also it kind of speaks to sort of a lack of thoughtfulness. Like 
part of being a good writer, for example, is knowing what not to write about. And part of being a good filmmaker is knowing what you can cut out, it's right? It's the like, blank spaces, my friend. It's the white spaces that make a huge difference. Exactly, right? Pauses. It's pauses. It's the pause, yeah, perfect. So it just ends up, you know, when people wanna have this sort of completeness and say, well, I guess gotta have it all on there, and you know, just so that they all know it. I think it does two things. It, first of all, you know, shows like maybe a lack of thoughtfulness on, on the one hand, you don't know what matters. And then on the other hand, there's also no like mystery left. There's no cachet left, or there's no like, like there's no mystique left. Like at some level, you wanna have something to talk about in the conversation. And that's why, I, you know, I think some, sometimes when you put something, like you said in the cover letter, we just traveled or I love skiing or whatever, gives you something to talk about and, and to humanize. But where do you see people go wrong with that? Being too open. Oh. I mean, I rarely see that. It's either it's either you're you're not being mindful and editing out for the previous company that you just applied to, that mm -hmm. you're putting something irrelevant, that you're putting something that I could read in your resume, if you're just mirroring that resume, um, or maybe oversharing. Got it. I have 32 cats at home. Yeah, like, Ooh, <laughs> mm, crazy like cat lady, it. right? Yeah, we don't need that. You're gonna come and smell <laughs> like cat all day. Yeah, I'm allergic, exactly. right? Just be um, mindful, right? Like there's a, there's a delicate balance, especially in this world of oversharing. Totally. And everyone everyone preaching to be more open, be more to an extent, right? There's it's some things you should quiet. some things you should you know keep it keep quiet about. Um, so let me ask you this. So um, when you this is I'm getting super tactical here. So yeah, go for it. Rubber meets the road here, like from. Do you like a resume that's more like I had this position and these are my skills and I had this position and I had these are my skills or I mean I've seen some other ones that are like hey these are the things that I'm good at and these are the things my my experiences and it's sort of more of a block of sort of experience and then sort of just a list of experience of like jobs you know what I'm saying all right. So it's interesting too. I, I, on a personal note, I like, I like when someone kind of takes that story approach and I've seen it even visually with a timeline, which I don't really love. Um, and, and I could kind of see a, from a linear perspective there too, versus kind of the vertical, well, okay. the, the horizontal versus the vertical. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting one. I think when I'm in the zone and I'm reviewing resumes and I know what I'm looking for, my eyes kind of trained to just keep scanning through them and, and seeing a progression and seeing it in a, in a way that my eyes kind of trained for it. So when I see something that stands out and yes, if you're relevant and now you're causing me to stand out for a second, it's going to cause me to disrupt my, my viewing pattern. If you think of it a little bit like that, but it okay. has to be relevant. If it's not, if it's garbage, I'm going to get pissed. Right. Yeah. But it's interesting that the, the storytelling resume and I don't know, I could go either way on that. It just kind of depends on the role the day and the candidate and that, yeah. and what that resume looks like. Yeah, and if you're how telling me the cat in the hat story, if you're telling me if you're using a haiku or a limbrick or something, I'm like, this person's right. crazy. You're being yeah. overly creative for the sake of it, and this is not a this is a compliance role. This isn't a creative writer at an ad agency, right? Something else to think about. That's a great point. Yeah, you got to kind of go for the job you want, and then what's interesting about compliance is that it's kind of like this uh, circulatory system for an organization. So, you know, compliance and HR exists in manufacturing companies and in, you know, technology companies and so forth. Right. How have you seen people in these types of roles that kind of exist irrespective of like industry type? Right. Like a controller, um, right? Like a controller yes. could come and sit in a different company, right? The kind of that see, back of house. Yeah. How do you see them sort of, how, how important is it to sort of cater to the stereotypes of the industry or is it not important at all? Well, I mean, it's really job specific there too. Cause if I'm a controller coming from a manufacturing company, coming over to an ad agency, there's different nuances to that role. Okay. And those are the parts that you have to call out. 
but you could also call it the similarities. Like, listen, in manufacturing, we have vendors and in ad agency, you have vendors. So it's a similar transaction. So I understand the transaction part of it too. So you have to make it relatable. So uh, I want to circle back real quick to the, um, the elevator pitch, because I think it is literally perhaps the most uh, powerful um, sort of concentrated tool to uh, frame out a conversation, to frame out who you are. You can incorporate your why into that and so forth. When you were going through that out, uh, what are they called? Out services or whatever? Out, outplacement. Outplacement services. Like, you know, you had a bunch of iterations with that coach on building that, mm -hmm. uh, that pitch. And I'm sure your final product, which is obviously a work in, pro in process, probably different. It's a, a live doc. It's a live document. Yeah. It's a live document. Great. Yeah. So to well speak. Put. How did you like, how did you like what light bulbs went on in that, in that process where you're like, okay, I get what this is supposed to be. Because and it went, it was very simple. How does a written word translate when you're standing in front of a mirror or reading it to somebody else? And that's a hard skill for people because yeah. I write just because the way I'm wired, I write the way I speak and some people do it the opposite. So it kind of came naturally for me when I was putting my thoughts on paper, how I'd be saying it to somebody else. I'm a Got born it. and raised New Yorker, spent 15 years working in marketing and advertising. Seven years ago, I, I had a career pivot. Like, like I, I say it the way I, I, I would, I write it the way it is, but a lot of people can't do that. So that's why that coach is important to help you reframe it and have that down there too. And then there's also choice of action words. The words are very specific, pivot left. Like, did I leave the company? Did I get fired? How do you explain being fired? How do you explain yeah. being let go? Right. How do you be truthful to these things? How do you not graze, glaze over certain important pieces there too? It's, 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 it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of touch. It is a lot of touch. And again, I mean, again, we're talking about human nature and we're talking about influence and persuasion and that's really what it it's takes sales. So it's sales, man. It's we're sales. just talking about this. I'm pitching. It's a sales pitch. I'm coming in. I'm trying to sell myself to you, man. Yeah. Um, and to be successful in that is in, inherently you need an, an other's focus. You know what I'm saying? Like I have to be talking to you about what I think you're going to care about, not necessarily what I care about or right. what my mom cares about. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like I know. And, and, and that's the other piece too, that I was taught. You have to be able to adapt that elevator pitch to be specific for that listener, that job, that company. What's those key words for them? Like, like if I know this company is super high on like philanthropy or something, mm. you know, that's something I want to kind of weave in there, right? I, I want to drop a buzzword in there. You kind of want to make those kind of flags, but be truthful, right? Like I'm not going right. to talk about being philanthropic when I haven't contributed a dime to anyone in my life, right? Like you, right? Like you need to be truthful about it. Um, how have you seen people's mindsets when they've been let go uh, or downsized or whatever really end up being like an anchor around their neck. Oh, I mean, that's my, that's my life story. And that's something that I've had to, my career story, not my life story. It's something I've had to live with. You know, I've been in, in, in my early part of my career, there was a period of 10 years where I was either let go, fired or downsized four roles in a row. Oh, wow. And I carried that weight around with me a, a long time and not just emotionally and almost like a defeatist syndrome, but I've also had to be able to articulate and explain that with every role I was going into. And there were definitely parts, I'll be honest, man, there was definitely parts probably where I bullshitted a little bit, where maybe yeah. I kind of, you know, changed the optics on it too. But I was also taught about optics. Optics are important because you don't want to be untruthful, but you also want to be able to spin a story in your direction there too. 
Good point. Tell me a little bit more about I'm, that. I'm not going to tell you, tell somebody to say, you know, if, if you got fired, it's let go. What okay. happened there? You know, listen, it wasn't the right fit. And that's the truth, right? I mean, listen, unless you're getting kicked out of a company for doing something illegal or something, listen, the majority of people have gotten let go in their, in their life, in their career. Let's just call it what True. it is. It happens in life, right? I mean, I've lost my job because we've lost accounts and 30 people in the agency have gotten let go. You know, I've lost my job because of performance. I talk about it all the time. I lost my job at Boehner because I didn't do what they hired me to do. And therefore, they made the decision to let me go. You know, there's been other parts too when companies have, 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 you know, decreased size, right? There's been attrition. There's been other, you know, there's been other, there's times when I left jobs. You just have to be able to articulate it and put the right spin on it without glazing too much over it. And you also have to be mindful of a pattern. That's something else that I had, I had, a, I had a struggle with a bit too. When somebody who's actually pretty astute and looking, I saw you were here for six months and you jumped to this for nine months. You were there for a year and a half, two years here. I'm noticing a pattern here. You know, I really haven't spent a lot of time in each one of these roles. What happened? Right. And that was something I had to struggle with too. And that was a big reason too, why I decided to pivot and follow my passion. Yeah. And I think, you know, you need to always be ready with an answer at some level. You it needs to be, be a credible one. That's not cloaked in so much insecurity that it's going to come across kind of cringy. But I think we also have, have to recognize that the person on the other side, they don't have all the information about us as candidates. They, they're trying to sort through it and trying to see like, does this matter? Do I need to pay attention to this? And also they have a job to do themselves, right? Like due diligence, right? They need to make sure that they're not hiring somebody who's a, a poor performer. Right. And it's tough too, because a lot of states, a lot, like you're not allowed to ask if you're doing a reference check, why someone left the job. They can only give you, you know, from compliance, they can only, they can only ask you the dates of employment. They can't totally. ask for a specific reason. However, never underestimate the, the, the back channel. Never underestimate. I will tell you this as a recruiter, we back channel all day long. We are connected, especially for in that industry. I could go on LinkedIn right now and pull up a company that someone's working at and pull up 32 people that work there. And good bet that I'm going to know someone well enough. I could be like, you know, hey, Nick, uh, I'm interviewing Sue over here. What was it like to work with her? Listen, Sue, Sue's terrible. Red flag, stay away from her. I'm like, Sue's awesome. She's great. I would hire her in a second right now. Boom. Right. And I'll tell you something truthful. If I get one of those red flags, I am always going to go for a second and third opinion. Because oh, you are. I, re I really truly believe that you also have to, and this is kind of the cynical New Yorker. I mean, some people have it out for people. Sometimes it's personal conflicts at company, right? Maybe you rub somebody the wrong way in a meeting once. And you have it out for them. You have to, it's human nature, man. That's a big, the biggest thing with talent right. and recruiting that this is, this is not a mathematical equation. It is human touch, human feel, intuition. Yeah. Right? Like there's and a lot of these pieces an opportunity. that make it such an interesting, it's an opportunity as well too. If you're, if you know what you're getting into, if you know the game and you know the rules, how do you manipulate it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think for analytical folks who maybe, you know, again, just a lot of the folks in the industry that I'm in, um, you know, this is a broad brushstroke, but it's very analytical and uh, factual, objective and stuff like that. But there's such a human element to it um, and just understanding it and being able to take advantage of it, I think, is a is a phenomenal skill. Um, what what parting advice would you have for somebody who is kind of beating their head against the wall? They've been out of work for six months. Um, they are, you know, maybe losing a little bit of steam on their outreach. They're just kind of degrading, just hitting the, yeah, the I've been there, man. apply button, you know? I mean, my, my longest stretch out of work was about seven months, uh, during a downturn recession and it was tough. There were some dark days. Totally. You know, we were, we were living in the city at the time, you know, New York city, the rent is incredibly expensive. 
my wife luckily is an attorney who was making a good living, but the burden was on her. You know, we were living yeah. off one salary and that put a lot of emotional weight on me too. And there's a lot of pride in that. You totally. know, I'm the husband, I'm the man, I'm the, you know, I mean, I'm being serious about it, right? Like, I'm with you, you. know, like I, I wasn't providing and it hurt, but she, I knew that I owed her something. I knew I owed my family something. I knew I owed myself something. And that's what drove me because I, I had that North Star that I was going for, but it could be, you know, it's tough to get rejection after rejection, totally. being applying for jobs, not hearing, going for a phone interview and not hearing back. And that's why ghosting hurts so much and why I've been on the other side and why I make it a point to follow up with every single candidate that I actually engage with. Listen, if you if you apply and you're not relevant, you're going to get that reje automatic rejection button from me, right? But if we have a phone conversation, I'm going to close the loop on you. So getting back to your original question, it really comes down it comes down to just that mindset and treating the job search like a job. You're going to show up every day. You're going to give it your best and you're going to put everything, everything out there. What's also important though, when you're in this job search is that you do take that mental time for yourself, right? You have, mm. you have an opportunity in between jobs. I mean, let's just call it 80% of that free time. I'm going to be job searching, but 20% of the time, maybe I'll do something that I couldn't normally do when I was working. Maybe I'll spend more time at the gym. Maybe I'll pick up that hobby. Maybe I'll go, mm. you know, read more. Maybe I'll do something with that because that'll kind of help you focus and be a little bit of a reward, that little bit of a carrot at the end of the stick. So you have to trick your mind sometimes. Some of these like kind of mind tricks, they work, man. I know one of the things that I did, I, uh, you know, at the time I was living in the city too, I would, I would do a lot of walks in Central Park. I really enjoy going out there with my camera and, and, and getting back to photography, something that I love to do. And mm -hmm. I would just take those walks. I would take conference calls with my headphones on. I would do things like that just to be a kind of you know, outside. I'd really take in the city. I found myself sometimes, you know, one time I went to a museum, I go to a bookstore, like I would just kind of like take advantage a little bit of the, a little bit of that downtime and just be present and observe what's happening and put some faith out into the universe. I know this sounds a little bit, you know, kind of, you know, wishy-washy, but it's the truth, man. Speaking from my it is experience the truth. from the heart. And, you know, I think to that point, like if you're not balanced, if you're so myopic on it and you're just soaking in the rejection and the negativity and you wake up and you're in front of the computer and you go to sleep and, you know, the laptop is still open and you don't get any, any of that balance. You're just staring at your phone, ref refreshing, refreshing. Did I get that email yet? You know, <laughs> I mean, that desperation reeks and the desperation yeah. comes through a Zoom meeting, by the way. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it does. It does. And it's interesting. I, I kind of. You know, I balance that out too with candidates. I don't always take, I take most first screens over the phone too, because I want to give someone a little bit of that like wiggle room to not have to be intimidated. And then, but I let them know, hey, the next call with the hiring manager is going to be a video call, right? And I think it takes it takes a lot of that, you know, out of there. Um, the other piece too is being organized. And I, and I talk about this all the time. I okay. was, I mean, it kind of tapped into a little bit of my OCD, my non-diagnosed OCD. I had a spreadsheet. I was making sure I was following up. I know every role, where I'm at in the process here just being mindful. And that kind of put me into a rhythm of, you know, having that to-do list every day. So in the morning, I'm going to do my follow-ups or in the morning, I'm going to spend an hour on Indeed and LinkedIn. I'm going to network. I'm going to look at open jobs. I'm going to cross-reference, you know, I'm going to do my follow-ups. I'm going to take a look at my cover letter. You know, I'm going to, all these things, you just treat it like a job. Yeah. You treat it like a, so I love that thing that you just said. And as you're talking about this spreadsheet, I'm just kind of visualizing like you treated that like a job, you treated finding a job uh, like that was your job. And, you know, I'm kind of picturing this thing, like there's a thousand ways up a mountain. And mm -hmm. if, 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 if we're talking about a job hunt in the context of the human element and the fact that, you know, I just have to sell you on it. There's a thousand different ways that I can convey who I am. So 
just in being consistent on your follow-up, not being obnoxious about it, but those are other touch points of interaction that can convey information about yourself. You know what I mean? Here's three rules. I call it posters three P's that I apply to everything in sales and follow up everything that I did on the job search, everything I did now, patient, polite, persistence, patience, polite, persistence. I mean, I literally had a job seeker last week. Well, a couple of weeks ago, she applied. We had a phone call. I told her I was going to review it with the hiring manager. She followed up with me every single day to the point where I'm like, you, you need to chill. Like, I'm telling you, the team is in the middle of something. You, you have an interesting background. We're going to look at it. Like, chill. On the flip side of it, you also have to know that this person might be out of work. They could be having de demands, financial demands at home too. But there's a balance there. You have to understand. I usually give it a, I usually give it a, I'd say, I'd say, I think 48 hours is a good, is a good kind of rule of thumb, so to speak for a follow-up. I can't get mad at somebody. If I haven't gotten back to them in 48 hours, check in with me in 48 hours. You know, I think, I think that's, that's fair. Yeah. So that would, you would like, she wasn't messing up on persistence there. It was kind of a, a polite violation. Yeah. Patience. Oh, it was a patience violation. Okay. Right. She was very polite about it. Every one of her emails were polite. It was just the, the frequency of them. And right. then There's it kind of got no to me too. I'm like, all right, chill, like, like chill, like, you know, like chill out. Yeah. And I think it's just human to fill in any gaps of a story that you don't know. Like, it's just kind of natural to fill it in with negative. So it's like, what are you, a psychopath? Like, stop emailing me. I told you yesterday, I'll get back to you at the end of the week or whatever. It, you can convey negative stuff and, as well. And, and I think one of the things that I do as a recruiter too, knowing that I'm always managing expectations and I'm very clear. Like if it's a Monday, I'll say, hey, listen, I'm going to be straight up with you. We're not going to know anything till later this week. Right. Like, and then, and then I, I mean, I'm very good at following up and everything there too. Yeah. Um, well, listen, man, this was, uh, way better than I was hoping. So, uh, I love, uh, I love the takeaways. Um, on the promise so over deliver. See, look at you. you. You just do it on every front, don't you? Um, nice. but yeah, everyone, uh, how can people find you? How can people watching this who may, might want to utilize you and your services, which I would highly recommend, uh, Appreciate how can that. they get at you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you could find me on LinkedIn, Adam J. Posner. You could find the business side at nhptalentgroup.com. And if anybody wants to check out the podcast, it's real simple, thepodcast.com. Yeah, and please, I mean, subscribe to that, dude. You have had so many Thanks. phenomenal guests. Uh, if the ethics experts could somehow one day ascend to the status of the podcast, I no, will uh, no, 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 pat no. myself you, on the you, back and be a success. Stop it, man. You're, you're awesome. And you have a great show. Here. <laughs> and it's something I actually talk about too. It's, it's niche. I love these niche podcasts. They're great. They're for, they are you great. and I are not going to be the next Joe Rogan, but we're speaking to a specific audience with actionable value add content. And as long as we know that, as long as we're not going for the zillions of downloads and followers, that's fine because we're adding value along the way. So yeah, I just about. want to help, man. I just want to help. So appreciate you, man. This is a lot of fun, bro. Have a good day. You too. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.